Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're looking at some very, very important subjects that speak to us right where we're at. I don't care if you're in the middle of a reservation or if you're a Native American in an urban area, if you're not Native at all. We're talking about some creative things that you can do in a world that seems very different than the one we woke up to just a few months ago. With me today, helping us in this very important discussion, is Dr. Jim Gilkey. Jim, it is great to have you with us. Thank you, David. I appreciate you having me on. Jim, you are someone who is known widely uh, to many of my corporate listeners. I was amazed uh, just to see how widely you and your group is uh, is touching businesses throughout the world. I see you've uh, had clients like uh, uh, General Electric Medical, Kaiser Permanente, McDonald's, Chase Bank, BMW. I mean, is, is this legit, or did someone just try to get me uh, all psyched up about my guest? <laughs> no, I appreciate that, David. No, it is legit. Um, I'm president of S4 NetQuest, and we're a global learning services firm. Uh, we're out of Columbus, Ohio, and we've been doing it for 20 years, and in that 20 years, We've not only worked with some large companies, like you mentioned, some global companies, uh, we've had long relationship with those companies as well, which I think speaks a lot to the type of work we do. Well, that's tremendous. Now, a lot of folks have never heard of S4 NetQuest. So that's the letter S, like in uh, Samuel, uh, S4 NetQuest. Tell us uh, a little bit more about what your team does. Yeah, so S4 NetQuest, as I mentioned, we're a global learning services firm. So what does that mean? Um, what it means is any type of learning asset that we can imagine, we can create for you. So things like e-learning, self-paced e-learning modules, um, interactive classroom, which we can do virtually or in person, um, performance support tools. We're doing virtual reality. We're doing augmented reality. And so what we help our clients do, David, is use learning as a competitive advantage. Wow. So this is interesting stuff. And, of course, one of the reasons people are so interested in it today is uh, it doesn't matter where a person is at. Uh, they're saying, hey, things are different today. Uh, we got a lot of our uh, workers, maybe they're tribal employees that used to work in a common space. Now they're working from home. I know I was just uh, meeting with a large uh, group of tribal public health workers, and uh, many of our listeners heard the broadcast with the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board. I, I felt so fortunate that I was there the week before everything got shuttered and everyone was going to be working from home, so I was able to do interviews in that venue uh, uh, not all that long ago. But the point is, things are changing, and people are, are scratching their heads, whether they're tribal entities or, or just individuals trying to connect with people, looking at new strategies. And you guys have been doing this, like you said, for a couple of decades, haven't you? We have been. And it's an interesting time, as you said, uh, almost surreal. I wake up in the morning. I know it's occurring. Um, I'm still in a bit of denial. It's just such a crazy time. 
And so that's leading to certain things. I'll give you a great example how it's affecting my industry and training and development. A lot of the companies we work with do in-person classroom, right, Mm -hmm. across the globe. And what they're finding out now, based on this crisis, and I think the need to be resilient into the future, they're saying, look, we can't fly the facilitators all over the globe anymore. We can't expect that large numbers of people, 20, 30, 40-person classrooms, can get together anymore. So what are we going to do? And there's a, a main concept here, David, that's very important. Companies are coming to us saying we want to convert our training. You don't want to convert it. You don't want to take the PowerPoints you're using in the classroom, put them on a WebEx, and expect somebody to sit in their office at home and listen to you lecture for a week. So what we do at S4 NetQuest is we transform that, and we use a blend of learning techniques to ensure that that virtual distribution is highly, highly effective. So this is really exciting stuff, and uh, I wish uh, I had heard about this sooner. Now, we have some common roots. I don't think you realize this, uh, Jim, but both of us uh, have some connections with the state of Ohio. I actually did my internal medicine residency at Wright State University there in the uh, in the Dayton, Ohio area. And um, actually, of course, being in Dayton, you have to have some awareness of aviation. And uh, I know you've got a background, interestingly, in aviation as well as having your doctorate in, is it instructional design? Is that what I understood? Yeah, that's correct, David. I'm glad to be on the phone with a fellow Buckeye. Uh, interesting path I took to my current position. My undergrad at Ohio State was actually in aviation. It's a four-year degree, and you come out with, you know, not only a a baccalaureate degree, but a commercial pilot's license as well. And during that time, this is 25 years ago, um, the airlines, they were in need of new pilots. A lot of retirements were coming down the pike. So they took the top 25 aviation programs in the nation, and you could intern And I was lucky enough to intern at United Airlines. And so I trained with the 767 group. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, just amazing. Amazing from the standpoint of just fun to fly a jet. Mm -hmm. Amazing to be in one of the top training facilities in the nation. But what's funny about it, David, is although I, I, I thought it was a blast flying the jets, it was not something that I saw myself doing for an entire career, Interesting. which is when I came back to Ohio State and got the Ph.D. Wow. And did you have at first a, a mind of going back into the aviation industry and doing training there, or were your goals broader? Actually, I loved the university. So when I went back and uh, completed my doctorate at Ohio State in instructional design, I ended up running what's called the flight education division. So that was both the flight school as well as the four-year curriculum on campus. And it was such a great job, David. I could do anything from sit at my desk and try to determine a better way to utilize our fleet of 25 aircraft, or I could jump in a plane and do a stage check. Um, Also loved teaching college students on campus. And so my ultimate goal was to stay at the university. Uh, So when I came back, I thought that's what I would end up doing. You know, I love your story because there's so many people right now, Jim, that can relate to this. They've been going in a certain direction, whether they really enjoyed what they were doing or not, and uh, now things are disrupted. I mean, a lot of people uh, out of work, others that are still 
in uh, employment, things are very different. I've talked to a number of people that, that I know who are in healthcare, although I do most of my work outside of patient rooms. I still do some clinical work. I work as what they call a locum tenens doctor, and I go back to a clinic that I used to work in on a more regular basis and help out. But I was just talking with one of the providers there yesterday, and she said, hey, I, you know, this is a multi-specialty clinic. I mean, they must have had, you know, sometimes 50 people, 50 providers, you know, specialists, uh, primary care doctors, dentists. She said, I'm often the only provider there. She's a physician's assistant. And uh, so basically people are not coming into the primary care offices. Things are, are largely shuttered except for emergency visits. So, yeah, people are laid off or they're working from home, and it's changed. And so people right now are asking questions, is this going to be my new reality, or do I need to do something like Jim Gilkey did, look at my situation and say, I've got a transition. And what I hear you representing, Jim, is basically you've got some learned experience both personally and then, uh, you know, with S4 NetQuest, you've been helping corporations uh, really uh, utilize all kinds of technologies, and some of those are those technologies that some of us are being forced to learn right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, like we just talked about, David, it's such a, a different time. I heard somebody the other day say something about whether you're 2 or 92, I don't think anybody has experienced what we're experiencing today, and a lot of changes are going to occur. Um, my leaving Ohio State wasn't necessarily due to a crisis like this. Uh, my leaving Ohio State was a need to be an entrepreneur. I'd always wanted to do that. Hmm. And what was interesting in entering the training and development space in corporate was that you know, I was used to training pilots, and training was everything. Training had to be the best. Uh -huh. When I entered the corporate world, I found that training at times was even seen as almost a necessary evil. Uh -huh. One of the first things they, they cut back on um, when they were cutting budgets, and that's because traditionally the training wasn't done very well. And so when I entered in, my goal was to create a company that really sets the standard for training and development within corporations. So let's talk a little bit more to understand your background. And the reason we're doing this, for those of you tuning in today, is we've got a great show lined up today. And Jim is going to be sharing with you all kinds of practical things. It'll be dealing with how you can work more effectively from home, if that's the situation you're finding yourself in. If you're looking for motivation at a time of transition, he's going to be talking to that issue as well. But I think if we understand your background, it puts us in just a much better position to really understand where your counsel's coming from. So, Jim, here's what I'm trying to comprehend. We're talking about innovative training. We're talking about bringing training up to the, the next level, not looking at it as a necessary evil and uh, doing it well. So help me understand, why would a corporation, and we don't need to mention names if you want to give names, if you think that helps illustrate it, and that's uh, you know not any kind of uh, violation of confidentiality, it's fine. But why would a big corporation that is seemingly successful, why are they doing training? Yeah, it is a great question. The issue that we have found in the 20-plus years we've been doing, it, David, is that most training in a corporation is done by a subject matter expert. Now, let me be clear. Subject matter experts are absolutely critical to the process. These are the veteran individuals. These are the people that know the knowledge and skills at a very, very deep level. But what these 
individuals normally lack is knowledge of how people learn, knowledge of instructional design techniques. So what you end up finding in most corporations is a subject matter expert standing in front of a classroom, and we've all experienced this, and they're lecturing to a set of PowerPoints, and most everything they're saying is on the PowerPoint. They hand that out to you as a participant guide when you're done, and they call that training. Mm. No, I mean, that's so true. I think so many of us have seen that over the years, and uh, I know the reputation with physicians is that, you know, most of them are not good teachers, and uh, we even saw that in medical school. You know, I'd hear the complaints of people saying, well, this guy doesn't know how to teach. I mean, he may be a brilliant researcher or a clinician. So can you actually help the instructor, or is it an organizational change that's needed? What does it take to take that sterile learning curriculum, if you will, and make it something that's vibrant and that people want to attend to? Yes. So in some cases, people say, let's make them better presenters. Let's have them pause and ask questions. Again, you'll be a better presenter. You won't be a better teacher. Hmm. So our instructional design technique, which is called impact learning, what that does is it sets up a, a set of activities, mainly problem-based activities. Give the learner a problem to solve and then help them through the solving of that problem. And what that does is it engages the learner much more than straight lecture, and it actually results in much higher levels of learning. Wow. Not simple rote memorization, but actual application and correlation of that. So what we do with facilitators is if we are designing a classroom for them, we show them what the design concepts are, what we're trying to do, why we're doing what we're doing. And then, of course, we walk them through that. And what we find is instead of lecturers, they become facilitators. So they facilitate the activities that we've designed, which are much more engaging, and then they get to do what they do best, which is add that color, add that level of experience that all of them bring to the classroom. And when you combine that good instructional design with you know, in-depth knowledge of a topic, uh, it can be very powerful. Boy, this is a great background. We want to take this and, and transition to some things that are very practical. It has to do with where you're at right now, some of the things that you're concerned about. Jim Gilkey is not going anywhere, nor am I. I'm Dr. David DeRose, your host on American Indian Living. And we're going to be coming back. We're going to talk in our next segment, how do you avoid distractions when you're working from home? What does that look like? Uh, some of you got all kinds of things happening around you. We've got some uh, great strategies that Jim will be sharing with you. And then we're going to transition from there and some really encouraging uh, messages about things that can help you refocus wherever you're at, whether you're working for a tribal entity or whether you're just working on your own or, or somewhere else in the workspace. I'm Dr. David DeRose. More coming up right after this. Don't go away. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit received. 
respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. I'm talking today with Dr. Jim Gilkey. Jim is the president of a group called S4 NetQuest, and he's been sharing with us some things to help us be ultimately more productive. We're going to be looking at those strategies, especially if you feel you're uh, stuck at home and you're not being challenged like uh, you used to be in the real work world, not the virtual work world, which some people would say is just as real as ever. Jim, as you were talking in that last segment about this uh, problem-based activities, I could not help but reflect on my own work as a physician and my own training. Of course, we're required to have continuing medical education. And over the years, I mean, they give us all these different options, you know, virtual classrooms. We can watch lectures. and The lectures are usually like you're describing, someone speaking and, and putting these PowerPoint uh, lectures on a screen, whether it's in uh, a classroom or, or online. How is this sounding to you as far as a learning uh, uh, strategy? Yeah, again, it's, it's more of the traditional uh, type of training that I think people are used to. Uh, we do a lot of training uh, of physicians. Currently, we're working on a really neat project that involves a new surgical digital robotics system. Wow. So you as a doctor uh, would love something like this. You can literally operate from, say, California on somebody in India. Um, scary concept, but highly, highly effective. And we'll be training the surgeons and the surgical staff on the use of this robot. And one of the issues we face, you know, especially with doctors, doctors want to get to the material now. And doctors will say, I don't like e-learning. I don't like that style. What they're really saying is the e-learning that I've had is not very effective. Mm -hmm. And so what we do, again, are things like this. We did a big training for residents uh, in nutritional aspects. Rather than lecturing to them, we'd give them a problem. 
Um, can you rehydrate this baby using a spoon or do you need to use a needle? Well, then they go back in. You may take a section of a lecture and hear what an expert has to say about it. But through this problem-based interactive approach, I'm going to discover the solution to that problem. And through that process of problem-based learning and interacting either you know, in real time or in simulated time with an expert, it results in much, much higher levels of learning. This is so on point. I learned years ago that the continuing medical education that worked best for me, it's low-tech, but the American College of Physicians, they're uh, responsible for training internal medicine specialists like myself. They came out with something, they've been coming out with it for years, called the Medical Knowledge Self-Assessment Program. It's quizzes. And uh, I guess some people probably read through all this material and take the quizzes, but I just go right to the quiz. It's actually a test, and I'll read through the question, see if I can answer it, then start looking through the materials that they've given. And really, everything I'm reading is to try to know how to treat this patient scenario that they just gave me. And I'm saying, boy, this is uh, what I've seen works for me is just what Jim's talking about. Am I hearing you right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And one of the things you see out there, especially with self-paced learning, we call them page turners, read, read, take a test, read, read, take a test. Um, millennials really don't like it. As a matter of fact, they'll stop. They'll leave an organization if you're using that type of learning. Mm. So the old page turner does not work. It has to be interactive and it has to also, the learner has to perceive that there is value there. Uh, you see this a lot in corporations, David, where it's kind of the flavor of the month. There's a concept in instructional design called the law of readiness, which basically states that if the learner is not ready to learn. It doesn't matter how good it is. Mm-hmm. So instead of learning objectives, at the end of this, you'll know the five steps of the sales process. If you start off by saying at the end of this, you're going to sell 20% more than you have previously, now you have that learner's attention. Now, of course, you've got to give them the the skills and the knowledge to do so. But again, most of these techniques, these instructional design techniques, problem-based learning, some of those concepts, you don't see it in traditional corporate training. So you've actually taken these techniques, you're bringing them into the workplace, but you've also distilled a lot of this material in a book that I know is getting a lot of interest right now. Tell us a little bit about your book. Yeah, the book is called Impact Learning, The New Competitive Advantage what every executive should know. And it's some of the stuff we've touched on, David. It's this concept that corporations don't see training or learning as a competitive advantage. They don't view it the same way they do sales or the same way that they do marketing. And there's many reasons for that. We discussed in the earlier segment about the fact that most corporate training is done by subject matter experts. We talked about the importance of the expert We also talked about their lack of knowledge when it comes to designing it. So what this book is meant to do is begin to shine a light on the fact that when it is done correctly, and especially in today's environment, fast paced, you know, everything is changing at such a rapid pace that you can use learning as a competitive advantage the same way you see sales and marketing. So this is great stuff, and one of the things that I think will get people tripped up uh, from the outset, though, if they're trying to track down your book, is the title, Impact Learning. It's a letter, M, and then the word PACT, correct? It's not impact, is it? You know what, David? I appreciate that clarification. 
Again, yes, uh, what we call it is M-PACT, P-A-C-T. And the M has some connotations, multimodal, you know, multidimensional, et cetera, which kind of highlights some of the aspects of what impact learning is compared to the traditional methods. So we promised our listeners that we would uh, help them address a challenge that a lot of people are facing, and that is this one of being distracted when working from home. I was just uh, speaking with uh, someone yesterday, and uh, they've ended up, uh, by default, being a homeschool teacher for several uh, children, and uh, it's a busy environment in their home. Other people are trying in that very same environment to do other tasks, and especially if you're in a smaller home and got a larger number of people, a lot of uh, excitement. If people are at all like me, my wife uh, tells me that, uh, and she's a physician as well, that I meet the criteria for having a bit of uh, attention deficit disorder. So I got to hold up in my room if I'm going to try to accomplish anything. Do some people need to do that? Or are there other things that you can do to avoid distractions? Yeah, it's a great question, David. I think there's three areas we could discuss here that may touch on some of the challenges everyone is facing. One is there's some process things you could do at home. There are other aspects that are almost psychological that you need to do. And then we could talk about the technology aspect of it as well. If you start with process, David, it's some of the things you said. One of the things that you need to do when you're working from home is choose a dedicated workspace. I think there's a tendency to sit on the couch or in your most comfy chair. What you really want to do at the highest level is try to duplicate your workspace in your actual office. So choose a dedicated workspace. Ensure you have everything you need. Do you need a bigger monitor? Make sure you have the bandwidth necessary etc., and really set up that dedicated workspace. That's the first one. Okay, so basically, if someone is in a situation where that dedicated workspace is hard to come by, maybe they're in an apartment and there's a lot more people there now than there had been before, are there ways to work around that too? Can you share space? Do you do shifts? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, that's a really good point. So, you know, we could talk a little bit about the psychological aspects of how to remain productive in a home environment. But what you're hitting on, distractions, especially if you're in a smaller space and you're sharing that space, that's probably one of the largest challenges I think individuals at home are facing. So a couple of things there. Mm -hmm. And just to be clear, David, I'm not saying this is the recipe for everybody, but hopefully it'll help some folks. So know what your distractions are. So, for instance, is it your children that are now trying to do their schoolwork from home and need you to help? Mm. Is it a pet? So know what your distractions are and then schedule those. So, for instance, let's go to the fact that you may have children and they need some help with homework. Well, you want to schedule your day normally anyway. So you're going to schedule in breaks. You're going to have a lunch break, et cetera. Use those to work with whatever the distraction is. Hey, kids, I got a 15-minute break at 10 o'clock. I'll check in with you, and then we can work on some of the the challenges you're having with your homework during my lunch hour. You can also use a lunch hour to walk the dog, et cetera. A lot of it is understanding what the distractions are and trying to work those into your daily schedule. Nice, nice. So what about the folks who uh, say, okay, I try to schedule things, 
but uh, my phone is going off constantly. Is there a way to deal with that? Yeah. So a couple of things there. One is, so it's another distraction, whether it's external or internal to your space. But along those lines, I think communicating expectations with anyone. So for instance, um, communicating with your kids that this is what is going to happen. These are the expectations. This is when I'm going to be available. And then also scheduling your day around the fact that, you know, hopefully you can schedule calls. And you put that on your schedule. I'm going to do calls later in the day because I'm more productive in the morning, et cetera. The fact that the one-off calls come in, if you have the dedicated workspace and you've set some expectations that you are at work and thus you want to minimize the distractions, that will help with some of the the impromptu calls, et cetera. Those are great points. We're going to talk uh, more about this topic of uh, avoiding distractions and being successful, being productive in the environment in which we find ourselves. We're going to also talk more about impact learning, what difference it can make for you if you're in a time of transition. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be back with more from Dr. Jim Gilkey right after this. Don't go away. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So, whether it's around your neighborhood... Or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute, since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live united. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live united. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking about a topic that has been getting a lot 
more attention today. Many folks, uh, either working from home or finding themselves in transition, we're first speaking to those of you that are working from a home environment, and we're trying to help you avoid distractions and be more productive. You're not just listening to a physician. You're listening to someone who is an expert in this area. It's Dr. Jim Gilkey. He's a Ph.D. who is uh, talking to us about things that he has learned in his work with S4 NetQuest and uh, his program, Impact Learning. Jim, we talked about process. We talked about your physical environment in the home, trying to have that as much like the workplace as possible, trying to duplicate that in your own personal environment. You began then telling us about some of the psychological things that we need to deal with, everything from scheduling to planning for interruptions and how to deal with those. What other kind of things can we do just as far as a a mental or psychological perspective to help avoid those distractions? Sure. We've all experienced it. When you're at home, you're not at the office, and it is different. We talked about distractions, but the environment itself is not the office. So what do you do? What we have found and some of the things I've been doing with my team at S4 NetQuest are things like this. Number one, get started early. Mm. What I mean by that is it's easy to hit the snooze a couple times because you're working from home. You don't want to do that. Now, somebody would say, you know what? I actually like doing that while I'm at home. The things that we're talking about here, David, are productivity. If you're trying to be as productive as possible, these tips will help you. Mm-hmm. Get started early. Get out of bed. Get a shower. And get dressed. That's one of the first things. So you're literally psychologically preparing for the day. Does that make sense? It does. Now, you're talking with a physician, so I'm going to tell people, why don't you uh, do everything that Jim's told you, but before you take that shower, get out and get some exercise, unless you're in a place where they're not letting you walk the streets. Oh, absolutely. And again, um, you, you raise a good point. Generally, what we're trying to do is replicate our day, the way our day was before this crisis uh, came down the pike. So if you, and I do that, I love to get up and ride my Peloton in the morning Mm -hmm. before I get started. So if that is part of your work day, then great. Get started early on that. I would even say based on today's environment and based on what you're saying as a physician, if that's not part of your daily routine, it's a great point. Make it a part of your daily routine. Get up, get some exercise, get the blood flowing. Then, as I said, get showered, get dressed, and get ready. I'll tell you, Jim, you know, we could be quite the team here. Um, I already like uh, how you're quickly adapting your uh, strategies to take in expert opinion, in this case, the physician thinking of people's immune systems. And I think what you're illustrating is one of the things that we're really trying to challenge people to be, and that is be flexible with the environment in which they find themselves, right? Yeah, you're going to have to be flexible. As you said, it's not the same environment. But the other side of that coin, David, is some structure uh, from the standpoint of even psychologically, there's some studies showing if you set up your workspace and you literally get up, get some exercise, get the shower, pretend like you're going into the office. Mm. So when you walk up to your desk, pretend like you're going to the office. There's a mental association that occurs there. And again, it kickstarts your productivity. And if you let everyone else in the family know that you're going to your office and that you're going to work, that probably helps the whole process, doesn't it? 
it is a really, really key point that we talked a little bit about communicating expectations. Uh, you raised a good point, one that I haven't come across yet with my team, is what if you have a very small apartment with a lot of people in there or a lot of distractions where there's people, pets, or kids, so that communicating expectations uh, to those that, are, that you're going to be involved with during the day as you pretend that you're going into your office, that's going to be critical so that you can get your mindset on productivity as well as avoiding those distractions we've been discussing. So we've talked about process. We've talked about the area of psychology and mindset. What other things have you found that help people work uh, without so many distractions, be more efficient when they're in that home environment? Yeah, a couple of things. One is uh, structuring your day uh, the way you would in the office. That's the other thing. Again, generally, we're trying to duplicate that. Um, so, you know, if you normally do your calls in the morning, do your calls in the morning, schedule those, have a structure there, know when your breaks are occurring. One thing as a physician that you could probably shine some light on, I don't know if it's just me, but I'm much more productive in the morning than I may be in the afternoon. So as you structure your activities for that day, uh, whatever these business activities are going to be, I try to do the tough stuff in the morning and then save some of the simpler stuff, whether it's sending out some emails or fielding a couple of calls for later in the afternoon. Yeah, no, it's an interesting observation. I mean, for years we've talked about circadian rhythms in medicine, you know, these daily rhythms. And it is interesting if you put people in a cave, if you remove them from all light or dark cues, uh, they've actually done this, and a lot of the research is older, but they'd find people would end up on about a 24-hour cycle. Some people, though, would... would tend to be on a longer than 24-hour cycle, and other people would tend to run on a shorter than 24-hour cycle. And depending on how your internal body clock works, uh, you may be primed more to get up earlier and, uh, and work efficiently early on, or you may actually be set to be more productive later in the day. So it can actually vary from person to person. And then, of course, Lifestyle factors have a lot to do with it, too. If you don't start uh, with a, a good start to your day, eat a good breakfast, you know, active in the morning, you may be just dragging yourself around until lunchtime. So there are some things that you can modify regardless of what your body clock tends to run. Yeah, so there's the physiological aspects you're talking about. So I guess based on that research or knowledge in that area, I would say determine what part of the day you're most productive in. And then do the more difficult task uh, when you are uh, most productive. Uh, I think, again, that, that type of structure, really trying to schedule your day out uh, as you would if you were in the office, is extremely critical to being productive virtually. Now, this is great stuff, but I'm thinking now about folks that I know in, in tribal entities that uh, maybe in a managerial role. And uh, I'm thinking, well, boy, how are they functioning if they're not right there on the ground working with folks in a physical environment? How, how does someone manage a virtual workforce? David, I'm really glad you brought that one up. I think a lot of the focus today is on the worker, the workers at home. How are we going to make sure that worker's productive? How do we avoid distractions? All the things you and I have been discussing. But what is as critical, if not more critical, is how do you manage a virtual workforce? I'm doing it right now with mine. Now, luckily, because we're technology-based, it was a simpler transition. 
but we're on day, I think, 22 of that, and we're learning things every day. A couple of things that are critical if you're managing a virtual workforce. The number one thing, set expectations. When are you going to be available for each other? You know, how long should I expect before you get back to me? Those sorts of things are critical. And the other one that I'm finding is absolutely critical is creating a cadence of communication. Is it weekly one-on-ones? I did my weekly team meeting this morning, my entire staff. Uh, daily digital check-ins. People need to know what are your expectations and what is the cadence of communication uh, that should be expected of a virtual workforce. That is great messaging. I know so many of us, if we're used to working in a physical space, we're just used to having access to people. And right now, that's not the case. So you've really got to make plans to stay connected or you'll probably get pretty disconnected. You can get very disconnected. You know, you're not part of the team. That esprit de corps is not there. The socialization and collaboration isn't there. So that cadence of communication is critical. The other thing that I would add is, you know, we talk about business. We talk about productivity, all very important. But you have to make it personal. You can't just talk about business. Like I use video. I don't expect everybody on the team to be on video, but I'm on video. And I want people to see my face. I want people to know that I'm optimistic about the future. So this kind of video first culture is part of what we need to do there. And what I've really found, and this is through trial and error, is I've used a lot of humor. I'll show memes or somebody will tell a funny story. I think that personalization and and not just focusing solely on productivity is absolutely critical to, you know, people feeling good about themselves and, and feeling good as a team. That is really, really so relevant, and I appreciate you mentioning it. I got a related question, and kind of brings us back to your your book. Uh, and maybe we need to just reintroduce that because some folks perhaps have joined us since we mentioned it. So the title of the book is Impact Learning. It's the letter M, then Pact, P-A-C-T, Learning. Tell us about the subtitle, and then why folks should especially be attentive to this book if they're in any kind of leadership position. Yeah, impact learning, the new competitive advantage, what every executive should know, is really beginning to concentrate on the fact that a lot of corporations do not view training and development the same way they view things like sales and marketing. Uh, Sometimes in some organizations, even viewed as a necessary evil, one of the first things they'll cut Mm. uh, when they're looking at budget cuts. In today's fast-paced world, in today's information age, it is critical that learning is done in a very effective way. And by effective, I mean creating measurable business results and using impact learning. That's what would help large corporations across the globe do is use learning as a competitive advantage. So let's talk to a a tribal entity, uh, you know, someone representing maybe a, a tribal business and maybe that tribal business is uh, is still up and running. Maybe it's something that's been shuttered for a while. Maybe the casino, the gaming industries uh, in many areas, you know, are not uh, are not able to function, or they're not functioning. They're they're following social distancing guidelines. But there are other tribal entities. There's uh, you know trucking companies. There's other things in the transportation sector. Uh, there's individuals that are working in the medical sector. So why should someone today 
take a special interest in reevaluating their learning strategies? Why is this an opportune time in your perspective? Yeah, great question. Uh, you, you know, you talk about these businesses, whether it's healthcare, whether it's pharma, trucking, whatever it may be. I think we all realize that a well-trained workforce can be a competitive advantage. And in some of these organizations that you're mentioning, uh, one of the challenges that these tribal leaders may have as, as uh, business people is turnover. I have a lot of turnover, and so I can't retrain these people each and every time. Well, one of the nice things about today's environment is the connectivity and the use of technology. So when you look at onboarding somebody, whatever your business is, and somebody saying, well, you know, I've got to take David off of his job and have them train. What you can do now with technology is you can have self-paced learning to onboard new people. Mm-hmm. It's standardized because it's the same each and every time. It doesn't require somebody else in the classroom, and you can get a workforce up to speed very quickly. Well, we need to talk more about this, and we also want to talk about the subject of uh, what about the person who is between jobs right now? I know you've got some insights there for us as well, Jim, but we do have to step away. Dr. David DeRose with Dr. Jim Gilkey. Our final segment is coming up. It will be with us before you know it, and great information for you. Stay tuned for more. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with Dr. Jim Gilkey. We're talking about things that uh, have taken on increased relevance in today's ever-changing world. We're talking about how you can be more productive at home, and we're talking now about things that can help you if you find yourself between jobs, if you're in a time of transition. Before we share that with you, I know a lot of you have been interested, uh, if you're at all like me, in what uh, Jim Gilkey's been saying, and you say, boy, this guy's got a lot of interesting stuff, and especially if you're in a leadership position, you may be interested in his book or other resources. Jim, we've been talking about the book, Impact Learning, the new competitive advantage, what all executives need to know. Where does someone get a copy of the book or learn more about you and your services? Yeah, great, David. You can get the book on Amazon. Um, Just type in the title. It'll pop up. And to learn more about me and the book, you can go to jimgilkey.com. That's Jim, G-U-I-L-K-E-Y.com. Okay, so Jim is easy, J-I-M, and your last name, Gilkey, G-U-I-L-K-E-Y. Yes. So it's almost like guild without the D and then the word key, like to open a door. It is. The one I use, it's like guilty with a K. Oh, like guilty, uh, with a, but it's K-E-Y. Okay. Well, good, yeah. good. I, yeah. I, I didn't yeah. get that tip early on, but uh, thanks. Jim Gilkey. And I guess if we're going to say you're guilty of something, it's guilty of uh, pulling away from your other work long enough to really help us out here on American Indian Living. We really appreciate that. And, of course, you're not guilty in my eyes. I don't know what the rest of your team is thinking. If they're struggling in their home environments, yearning for the leading of their president. But anyway, Jim, so let's talk to that person right now. They're listening. They say, well, hey, I'm out of work. Uh, I've been laid off. I've lost my job. Are there opportunities uh, that you see from your vantage point? I do. And I think, David, what's going to happen is, you know, people have been asking me, you know, what changes will occur and what changes will stick? You know, for instance, are a lot more people going to work from home now? And I think there'll be some transition there. I don't think it'll be to the level that some are thinking. My team in particular is doing well virtually, but they all want to get back and they all want to get back into the socialization, the collaboration that is key to a lot of successes. But I think what you're going to find is there are going to be some changes. And you might even be able to talk a little bit about this one, David. You know, one of the things is technology is taking, uh, not that it wasn't taking a, a forefront before, but much more than it was in the past. I mean, that's how we're connecting at home now, virtually, mm-hmm. through technology. Mm-hmm. And you look at some jobs that are changing, like telemedicine, as an example, right? right? I see a lot more telemedicine coming up. So, David, how do you see that affecting what you're going to be able to do? And will that change the way you do your job? It's a great question. And uh, I know a lot of people are dealing with this. My wife right now, who's also a physician, who's been more active in the clinical world recently than I have is looking at this because, uh, you know, her group is looking at some of the hurdles to bring, you know, any individual provider into kind of a a telemedicine environment. And uh, there are some hurdles. There's some price constraints, at least how things have been set up historically. 
So I think uh, a lot of people have to look creatively at options that are out there. And, and we've just been talking among ourselves saying, you know, well, here's some things that you can talk with your clinic about or, or the uh, telehealth uh, services providers, because it's not helping anyone if there are, you know, really big obstacles to kind of enter into that space. And I think that's one of the things that uh, people are challenged with. They say, well, we've always done it this way. We have it set up this way. People have to be creative when uh, the environment changes. And I think that's part of the discussion. Yeah, totally agree. And again, I think some of these things are being tried, you know, during the crisis. But again, would I always want to use telemedicine? No. So I think we will go back. But there's other things that will change. One of the things I noticed, you know, when you looked at the stock market and some of the issues that we're facing there, Amazon has accelerated. And I think what people are beginning to see is, do I need to necessarily go someplace to buy something? Mm -hmm. You know, should I have my groceries delivered to my house? Because that's what's happening now. Mm -hmm. So there are going to be opportunities. Like I think Amazon is trying to hire 100,000 people right now. So there are going to be changes, and I think if you, you know, keep your eyes open for those opportunities, you're going to find them. They may be different than what you're doing right now, but it doesn't mean there's not going to be an opportunity in the job market for you. No, and I appreciate you mentioning that so much, Jim, because I think a lot of us have our identity tied to what we've been doing. And I appreciate your message because if the industry you're in has slowed down. If they've shuttered things, if you're wondering if it's even going to survive, look at those growth industries. And although they may not be right where you're living right now, I mean, is it a good time to be thinking about relocation or do you think that's premature? Relocation, possibly, I guess. David, we'll have to see how it all settles out. I would say this, though. You raise a good point. These opportunities are going to be new. And some of them may be technology-based, so you may not have to relocate based on, again, the upscale in the, in the technology world. But tying it back to what we've talked about a lot today, uh, the training and development, learning, which is what you know, my industry is, is you know, as you're looking at these other jobs and you see what the training is like, realize that training is the front door to an organization. And if their training is not focused on you as an individual, if that training isn't giving you what you think you need and inspiring you to go into that organization and do a great job, you may want to second guess that particular organization. Okay, so basically you may get the job and they're, you're going through this onboarding process. They're trying to bring you up to speed and you're starting to have misgivings. It doesn't look like they're setting you up to succeed are you saying that it may even be a time to think about transitioning that early? Absolutely. Now, again, you know, individuals have different circumstances. I need a job. I need a job now. I got to pay my bills. That may not be as big a factor. But if you're looking at a change and a change that you know is going to be a permanent change and for, you know, long term, then when you're looking at those organizations, I'm telling you, millennials are a great example of somebody that looks at training. And if that training isn't of the highest caliber and doesn't focus on them and show them how they can, you know, really excel in that particular organization, millennials will move on. Wow, that is sobering. So really there's a message to uh, the tribal entity that you mentioned earlier that may have a high turnover. Uh, right now maybe they're going to lose staff because some of their industries are closed. 
Uh, maybe it's a gaming that's not functioning. Some of those employees are going to go elsewhere and and uh, uh, get work somewhere else. They're going to be doing a lot of hiring. Really put some of those energies into training on the front end. Do things differently, perhaps, than you've been doing them if you didn't get just glowing remarks, huh? Absolutely. We talked about law of readiness earlier when we were talking about some instructional design techniques. And the law of readiness doesn't mean just getting that person ready to do the job. It's getting them ready to feel good about doing that job. Wow. So, Jim, there's so much more we could talk about. You know, when you've got an author, a president, a guy who runs a company and deals with so many uh, fascinating corporations throughout the world. But I think one of the things probably on most people's minds as we're, we're winding up is we've talked a lot about practical things. If you were to say three key things that you'd like people to walk away from this show with, what would they be? Oh, wow. Well, I think we talked about how to be productive at home and those types of things. I would just finish with this, David. I would say, folks, no matter how bad it seems today, this will pass. We will move through it, and we will be stronger because of it. I appreciate that so much. And, you know, Jim, before we, uh, before we have to say goodbye, I know there's folks who, uh, who have said, wow, this guy's got a lot of practical stuff. It, it would make a difference in our tribal environment. It would make a difference uh, in my business. I, I'm not native. We have a lot of non-native listeners, and, and they're, they're processing what you've, what you've been sharing. If someone is uh, wanting to pick up that book that you've written, tell us one more time the title of the book first. Impact Learning, The New Competitive Advantage, What Every Executive Should Know. And now if they want to get a copy of the book, of course, we know we can get it on, on Amazon. If they can just remember Impact Learning, that's the letter M, then PACT. If they remember your name, Jim Gilkey, G-U-I-L-K-E-Y. That's easy enough on Amazon. But there's some advantages to going to your website, and what are those? Advantage going to the website, I have some lectures on there towards business people to try to understand the concepts. This is at jimgilkey.com. You can also download segments of the chapter for free. Wow. So if I'm going to walk away from this, uh, this program with one thing, if I want more information, I've just simply got to remember your name, right? Yes. So Jim Gilkey, J-I-M, G-U-I-L-K-E-Y dot com. That will get me everything I need, right? Everything you need, David. Jim, thank you so much for carving time out of your busy schedule. No, I appreciate you having me today, David. Stay safe. You too. Well, that's all for today's edition of American Indian Living. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.